Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Um, we're going to be in our Bibles today on Luke 736. Through 50, Luke 7, 36 through 50, continuing our series on the incarnation. That means God in the flesh, God in the meat, God incarnate. Um, so Luke 7, 36 through 50, we have Bibles available over there if you need one. Um, if you need to look in the table of contents to find it, um, then you're in good company. There's lots of us that need to do that, so no worries. If you can't find it, just go to the table of contents. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Let me read to you from God's word. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who was touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. He owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, Jesus told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, and she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. But the one who for, has forgiven little loves little. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, mm, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for being present with us even now. 
You could have left us to our own devices. You could have left us to our own shame and our sorrow. Whenever we seem to wreck our lives beyond repair, though, there you are, ready to build us back up again. And you've never seen a wreck beyond your repair. Praise God. You've never looked at us and pronounced us too far gone, and for that we thank you. Father, in this moment, we want to lift up the town of paradise and the other places in our state that are suffering from those fires. Lord, would you send your gentle rain to give relief to our firefighters and the families of those affected by these fires. And as we gather this morning, would you teach us from your word? Whatever I say that is junk, would people forget it quickly? Whatever is surely from you, would it cut straight to the heart and dwell there? Teach us today, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so we have two main characters in this story today. Um, besides Jesus, that is. We have a very religious dude. Anytime you hear Pharisee, you know that's religious dude. That's code for religious dude. And then you have a lady called a sinner. Now, what's interesting is oftentimes when we have these women that are called sinners in the Bible, like people go straight to she's a prostitute, um, and there's actually no evidence of that. So I just want to like undo a little bit of like what's been taught to you. Like there's nothing in the Bible that says she's a prostitute, okay? Um, I don't know where we get that from, but we tend to just pass it on over and over again. There's, there's nothing that would say that. All it says is that she's a sinner. Now, Paul John Isaac, he's a pastor from uh, Namibia, he says it this way. He says, attempts to determine what it was, her, her sin that is, may reveal more of the interpreter's biases than the woman's past. Jesus' interpretation of her act is all that matters. So he's saying, those of us that have read into it what her sin was, that may say something more about us than it actually says about her sin. So I just find that interesting. Um, now, sinner, as defined in the Bible, so we have sinners all the time. We'll have tax collectors, and then we'll have sinners. Um, the, only, the only thing I've seen as far as definitions of what a sinner is in the Bible, like, okay, we know all of sin and all that stuff, but when they describe someone um, as a sinner... Usually what that means is someone who is um, born into uh, Judaism that has decided they're not going to be a part of it. So for her, this means someone who just doesn't go to church, okay? So think of it that way. Someone who's born in a Christian family and said, not for me, I'm out. That's what has made her a sinner in this, in this, uh, this story. That's it. That's it. So don't read too much else into her. Because what she's about to do and um, what she does in the story we know is like, Kind of a little weird. And if we thought she's a prostitute and she's doing this thing, some people might take it differently than what she actually is doing, okay? So today I'm going to have three points from grubbing with Jesus. Three points from grubbing with Jesus. I don't know if it should be a grubbing with the like apostrophe at the end, but we have grubbing with Jesus. And uh, my first point for you today is, whom you eat with says much about whom you worship. Whom you eat with says much about whom you worship. I actually had to go online to check if this was whom or who, because I never get that right. But I think this is correct. Um, verse 37. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So a woman with a bad reputation found out Jesus was with some uber-religious dudes, but Jesus was so compelling that she willingly ventured into enemy territory to get to Jesus. Now, this woman has clearly heard that Jesus offered grace for sinners. 
or she would not have even considered going into enemy territory. But she has, and she has gone boldly, hasn't she, friends? Jesus ate with both the sinner and the angry religious folks. One author says it this way, the room was occupied with two types of sinners, law keepers and law breakers. If we are unapproachable, friends, I believe much of the problem here could originate with us. Everyone hung out with Jesus. Some did it secretly. Some did it openly. Either way, Jesus felt safe to people. Are we safe people for those who disagree with us? I ask. Are we safe people for those who disagree with us? If we don't eat with people who are different from us, it probably says a few things about us. If we're not safe for people who disagree with us, it probably says something about us. I have a few ideas here about that. Here's some ideas I have about why we're not safe for people and why we don't recline with people different from us. Number one, you are too insulated. We are too insulated if we don't sit with people who are different than us. You don't spend real time with people who aren't like you. You're just insulated. You don't even know they exist. Number two, we're not approachable. Uh, Michael Scott says, I think I'm approachable, but I could be approachabler. Um, people don't think that you want to spend time with them. So one of the reasons people don't spend time with you is because they think you don't want to. That's another reason why people don't spend time with us. Number three, we give up too easily. We give up too easily. I've had several people say, no, they don't want to spend time with me. And I have several people that continue to say no to me. But I've also had people that have no to me over and over and over again. And then one day... They say yes. And that's where relationship and friendship happens. And friends, you, if someone's quite different from you, then it means you're going to have to ask again and again and again. And I promise you, man, I've had some people that have made fun of me to my face that became my friend later just because I pursued them. And I guess that's probably all my friends. Um, <laughs> number four, another reason why we don't seek this is that we are too busy. But let me just say, if you have dinner in a week with your family... If you have dinner um, with your friends, you go out to some place to eat, then I, I tell you, you're not too busy to invite people to your table. If you have, a dinner in, oh, if you have one dinner a week with your family, um, you can spend about $4 more in beans or meat or, or rice. Like You can spend like a dollar more in rice, and you can feed another family. You can feed a friend. You can feed someone different from you. And it's not going to take more time for you just to add a little food to what you're already making. Pretty pragmatic, right? Like, we'll, we'll get into deeper stuff. But I just want to say, like, you're already cooking. You can spend time with somebody else. You're already going to Rubio's. You can invite someone else. Um, Rubio sounds good right now. Um, number five, the fifth reason why people won't recline with you, people won't sit with you, is because you're unwilling to be with people different from you. There's probably some other reasons that I've mentioned, but that's the other one. You're just not willing to be with people different from you. And I tell you, that's sin. It's sin. So friends, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of people saying no to you? That's going to happen. What if you made a point to get denied by people five times? What if you made a goal before January to be denied five times for a meal? Wouldn't that be cool? Because then, no matter what happens, if someone says no to you, then you're like, cool, that's one. If someone says no to you, you're like, I am on track. Can't wait to tell Pastor Dale that's okay. Like, what if you made a goal to be rejected for a meal five times until the year is out? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I don't know. Let's see. Let's find out, friends. 
Now, here's what I'm going to say. I need to speak to my Democrat friends in here. And I want to say that's probably 75% of you. Now, most pastors don't have that, um, but we in San Diego, right? And so uh, probably 75% of you guys are Democrats. And um, okay, so Democrats, you with me? You may be, (laughs) it's like, okay, I didn't, you know, that's probably a place I should not have you guys holler back. I did have you holler back. I guess that's true. Um, Here's the thing. Democrats, okay, listen to me. You need to spend time with GOP people. I think a lot of times when we tell you you should spend time with people different from you, you we automatically go to the poorest of the poor. We go to the person who's a drug addict only. We go to the person who's in, in the gutter. And we don't go to the person who's related to us that's doing just fine. Uh, money-wise. And what I'm saying to you here is you need to spend time with people different from you. So what that means for you democratic people in the room is you need to spend some time with some GOP people. You need to sit down with the Make America Great people and learn from them. You need to ask them questions. You need to be non-judgmental about it too, friends. Um, Because Jesus didn't just spend time with the poor. He spent time with Simon And Simon seemed to be doing just okay, just all right, just fine on his own. So uh, to my people in the room that might be Make America Great People, I think you probably spend lots of time with Democrats if you're in our church. So um, you're you're doing just fine on this. So you've heard it said that Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour. You've heard that said, right? But you may have also heard that Monday evening at 6 p.m. is as well. The dinner table is where relationship happens, friends. Over coffee is where relationship happens. Over boba is where relationship should happen because it's awesome. Yes, you can still talk about the weather. Yes, you can still talk about sports. But true empathy and understanding happens when you sit down with someone and you're face-to-face with them and you learn and you ask them non-judgmental questions and they get the opportunity to learn that you love them unconditionally. And if you do this really, really well, friends... They're going to talk behind your back. They're going to judge you. If you do this really well, um, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to talk to others about you. Did you see who that person was spending time with? Did you see who they were spending time with? Man, they're not safe. Did you see who they sat with? Did you see who was at their house for dinner? That's not what Christians do. Isn't it funny that someone will say that about you? You're like, no, actually, we are bridge builders. And you know that um, that means people are going to judge you. And we're going to say this often because I I stink and love it, that if you are a bridge, then people are going to walk all over you from both sides. So if you do this well, people are going to talk about you. People are going to say things about you. Now, the passage just before this story has an interesting take on Jesus. It's the things they said about Jesus. The very things they were saying about Jesus in Luke 7, 34. So you just got to go back just a smidge. In 34, it says, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus was not above this. The fact is, is that Jesus was the king of this. Jesus was judged, mocked, looked down upon because he was willing to sit with people who were different from him on both sides. Now, Two weeks ago, um, some of you guys know that Ash and I decided we were going to invite the guys on the block to our house again, again. This time it's for Thanksgiving. And I can tell you, 
um, that it's been interesting because it means that I'm walking the block all the time looking for these guys. Like, I, you know, I always take my Bible down the block because um, uh, there's a certain gang that says they'll watch out for the guy with the Bible. <laughs> so, so I always take my Bible with me. Um, but I keep, I keep my invitations in here. And I, I learned calligraphy in uh, fourth grade, fifth grade. So um, I got legit calligraphy of their names on it. I guess, is that weird to show you their names? They're just my friends from the block. Um, and I can tell you, people are going to look at you differently who you invite. Even the people on the block look at me differently when I invite certain people. Like, why are you inviting them? Because they're my friends. Because I love them. Because I care about them. People are going to judge you. So far, I've received a lot of maybes. I've received actually two yeses that would be life-changing for me if they actually came uh, to Thanksgiving. Um, and in the past, few have shown up. Um, I can tell you that when I went to hand out one of these to one of the guys on the block, a police car actually slowed down next to us and looked at us as I was handing this paper to the dude. People are going to look at you different when you seek to go talk to other people that are different from you. So, and, and here's the thing, too. I realize that, that we want to say, like, this is this great thing that we're inviting people into our home, but I can also tell you that it's so intimidating to my friends on the block to come to my house. Like, I know how white I am. I'm white. It's okay. I'm super white to some people, like, like rice, right? So here's the thing. These friends have got to know me. I've sought after them, and there has come time where they have felt welcome in my home. And I'm hoping that, it's, that for some of them, the first time will be this Thursday. I'm not doing anything special, friends. This is something that we're all called to do. Invite people into our homes. I don't think we're all called to do calligraphy, but I just know there's a couple guys who like to see their own name, to know that I was thinking about them ahead of time. I think that said something to them. Um, so that's why I did my calligraphy. Okay. Okay, there's this really great movie. Um, Actually, this is the best movie ever made. Um, I don't, Amadeus? No, it's not Amadeus. Um, this is the best movie ever made, okay? It's called Tombstone. Uh, have you guys seen Tombstone? Anyone seen Tombstone? Oh my gosh. Like nobody has seen Tombstone. Okay, well, thank you, Ms. Dorsey. Um, so Tombstone. Tombstone is about a guy named Wyatt Earp. He's like a, a Kansas City law dog, as they call him. And, if, and in this movie, his friends have been chasing after the cowboy bandits, um, the cowboy gangbangers, whatever you want to call them. And they're wreaking havoc on the Southwest. I mean, they are gangbangers. They wear like little red sashes to say that they're part of a gang. I mean, come on, they're gangs. Um, Wyatt's brothers have been shot by the cowboys, and one of them has died. So Wyatt makes it his thing that he's going to go chase after the cowboys. He's going to eliminate all of them. And this is an amazing movie. I can't believe you guys haven't seen it. So Wyatt takes his friends across the country looking for cowboys to put in the dirt, okay? And there's a scene after a huge gunfight where they've just prevailed over a whole bunch of cowboys. Um, they're laying, reclining by a river, and there lays the sickly and quite infamous Doc Holliday. And he's called Doc because he used to practice dental care without a license. Kind of famous for that. He's known for his law-breaking. He's known for his exploits. But also, the famous law dog from Kansas City, Wyatt Earp, trusts Doc Holliday with his life. The only problem is, is that the reason that Doc Holliday is laying by the river is not because he's resting from a gunfight, but because he's dying. He's dying from consumption, which we know as tuberculosis, right? So 
He's slowly dying, and yet he's out there on the road helping his buddy Wyatt to shut down the Cowboys gang. So I want to I just read to you what is spoken next, and it's a little edited for language, okay, y'all? So it's a semi-quote. So here a guy named Turkey Creek Jack Johnson asked Doc the question, Doc, you ought to be in bed. What the heck are you doing this for anyway? And Doc responds, Wyatt Earp is my friend. Johnson replies, heck, I got lots of friends. Doc's reply, I don't. Wyatt Earp was a friend to this man who was with him till the end. Wyatt Earp was a friend to Doc Holliday. And we see that when you befriend something, some, some, someone, something happens. There are lots of people out there that have one friend, zero friends, and we are called to invite them to our table. No one should ever sit alone. No one should ever be alone when there's a church, right? There's enough churches in this community to invite everyone to their table. And so, friends, consider the empty space at your table. Consider being like us and maybe just buying some cheesy chairs so you can fit more people at your table. In real life, not just the movies, Wyatt welcomed Doc into his life knowing Doc had run-ins with the law, knowing Doc had character flaws, but it made all the difference in his life. Also, the cool thing here is that Doc was also willing to accept Wyatt Earp's problems. You may welcome someone to your table thinking that you're really great, but honestly, they need to accept your problems as well, don't they? They need to get over some other things because you got, you got issues too. But the more you sow into a relationship, the more grace is returned. So change happens when you open your table to people different from you. So then the question becomes, why do we invite people into our lives? Why do we invite people into our dining rooms? Why do we invite people to go get boba besides that boba is awesome? The answer is because we have received much grace and we extend it to others. All right, point number two. The one who is forgiven much worships well. The one who is forgiven much worships well. This is the main theme of the passage. So if you read this, get this, okay? The one who, who is forgiven much worships well. You'll not want to miss this. Now, ancient African scholar Origen says it this way. She who owed the great debt was forgiven showed great love. It said in the, the verse that she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, that's interesting because sometimes, I know some of you, when you read this, you just kind of like think like she's got this jug like around her arm for some reason and she's just like walking in, and that's not exactly how it works. A lot of times, um, women would actually wear these as a necklace. Um, I didn't know this, so this was new to me, but I've read in a few different places where it said oftentimes women wore necklaces with perfume. Maybe it's because ancient times were a little stanky, um, but maybe it was just because they needed them for a moment to anoint someone or to anoint themselves. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them, anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. I feel like he would stamp his feet. I feel like he would be so frustrated and annoying. Who is this guy coming into my house, bringing this trash into my home? Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. And it's funny that he calls him teacher here, right? Because he's clearly judging Jesus. He's clearly seeing that Jesus is not a real good teacher, is he? And yet he calls him that. So we know that kind of Simon's got some stuff going on himself. Verse 41, a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, I, I suppose it's the one who forgave more, right? Now let's stop here just for a second. Jesus is saying something profound, and you're going to miss it if you skip by here. So who is the creditor here? You can talk back here. Who's the creditor in the story? Does anyone want to go out on a, on, on a limb here and say who the creditor is? God. God is the creditor. Who here owes 50? And who owes 500? Who owes 500? Say it out loud. I do. Okay, no, no, in the story, sorry. <laughs> Praise God, come on, thank you. <laughs> who in the story owes 500 here? Say it aloud, say it aloud. The woman owes 500. Clearly, she owes 500. Who owes 50? The Pharisee. The Pharisee, Simon, the religious dude, right? Who's the creditor? God. Who owes 500? The woman. Who owes 50? The Pharisee, right? What is Jesus saying here? He will forgive the person with the 50, too. I think if you, if you read past this, you might miss that. You might just see, oh, God is so good to forgive this woman with a huge debt. But he is also telling Simon here, I forgive you, too. I am willing to forgive you, too. So don't, don't read past that. Jesus is saying that his love is welcoming to all. That not just the woman who has come at his feet, but he's like, Simon, I got this for you, too. He says, you have judged correctly. He told him, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now he's going to get mad, right? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. The religious dude, Simon, was an awful host. Justo Gonzalez says, apparently he thought he was doing Jesus a favor by inviting him to dinner. In the book, Jesus, so I read this book. I had to read about Middle Eastern customs so I could understand what would it be like to enter into a home in the Middle East at this time. And uh, in this book by Kenneth E. Bailey, he says this. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He says, custom required a kiss of greeting, usually on the face. After the guests were seated on stools around the broad U-shaped dining couch called a triclinium, water and olive oil would be brought for the washing of hands and feet. Only then could grace be offered. Finally, the guests would recline on the couch and the meal would begin. There was a thing you had to do. There was a process you had to go through. Now, some think Simon was just like one of those collectors of popular people. You ever been around those people? They're just like, hey, look at who I'm hanging out with. Sometimes that's me because I'll like meet someone famous. I take my picture with them. But there are people like that all the time, right, that just talk about this person they're always with, they're hanging out with. I was just with, you know, that could be who he is. I don't actually think this is what's going on here. Um, I think Simon, along with a few other scholars, I think he's setting up Jesus to look bad. I think he's trying to embarrass Jesus. Consider, though, the road that Jesus took to walk there. It was going to be gross. It was going to be a dirty road. Simon, 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 you just snubbed God Almighty so you could look good in front of your little friends. And Jesus goes straight at him in his house. Jesus goes at him. Think about it. This Christmas, you go to Grandma's house. Make sure you insult her lumpia her turkey, her sweet potato pie, her tamales, any one of those things, just insult it. See what happens at your grandma's house. Tell me how it works out for you. 
But Jesus here, reclining in someone else's home, has the authority given to him to call Simon out. And what's even cooler is I actually think this woman's act of mercy is also calling Simon out. This woman is rising to the occasion. She is seeing that Jesus was mistreated and that they're considering embarrassing him, and she's saying, not on my watch. I'm going to go make sure he's treated like a king. Not even like a, a, a visiting rabbi, but a king who I would lay at his feet. If I'm in expecting guests and the doorbell rings, there's no way that I'm going to be just sitting watching TV and yell, hey, the door's open. Come in, you freaking idiot. Like, who would say that? But this is what he's doing. This is what's happening right now. Just come in. Go, just go. Go sit down. That is the way Jesus is being treated. And his friends are giggling and laughing about it. If you're close to me, maybe I'll just say, hey, come on in, buddy. We're friends. You know, hey, grab a glass. When Bill Crable comes to my house, I know he loves bananas. I'm like, hey, there's a banana for you, and you could go grab yourself a glass because he's been in my house so many times. And the dude likes bananas. I don't know why. <laughs> but the thing is, is that if the mayor comes to my house for the first time, no matter how I think about the mayor, no matter how I think he spent our money on, on the homeless poorly, I'm not, that's political, sorry. I, don't, I think he's great. If the mayor comes to my house, I'm going to answer the door. I'm going to have my finest china. I'm going to welcome him, sit him down, compliment him on whatever he's wearing, and thank him for coming to my home. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to just say the door's open. I'm going to treat him well. Jesus is a visiting dignitary, and this man has the gall to treat him like he don't matter. So, after all this, after all this, a woman goes and takes care of what Simon has not done, lays at his feet, washes him with her tears, anoints him with perfume, and this guy thinks to himself, man, that Jesus dude, he's not a real prophet. He's not real. And, and maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. Maybe a prophet wouldn't and shouldn't spend time with a woman in that way. But we don't claim Jesus as a prophet, do we? Jesus is not just some good dude who gets it right sometimes. Jesus is perfect and gets it right every time. Even as your pastor, I'm not letting any lady that is not my wife touch my feet. A, because I surf. And like, if you surf, your feet are going to get nasty. There's a reason why I don't wear sandals up here, like not up here in Birkenstocks. Um, but number two is because it feels intimate and, and just, and no. Like, no, I'm not going to have a woman at my feet kissing them. If that happened, I would have to practice church discipline, right? Or at the least, I would get a restraining order. Even though Jesus is God, this woman goes to his feet. And so maybe he's not a prophet. Maybe he's more than a prophet. Not maybe, but for sure. <laughs> the thing is, is Jesus' feet probably still stank, though. He walked dirty streets. And you know what animals do in dirty streets? is they, they just poop in dirty streets. And you know what happens when it rains? It doesn't go into gutters. It just mixes and becomes mud. And that's what you walk to. It's like you wouldn't take a shower before you went to go visit a friend across town. You would wait until you got there to clean yourself up because it's going to be a nasty trip. So Jesus has just gone through probably some mud, probably some dookie, probably some other things. We don't even know what's, I mean, you know, you got to dump your stuff in the street. This is what's happening. It's an ancient world. They don't have gutters. 
So Jesus is walking through this, and he gets there, and this woman goes to those feet and cleans them and shows him respect, and it's going to be stinky, and it's going to smell. And their sandals back then, it was like a sole with a strap, just a sole with a strap on it. It's not these like fancy sandals that keep you in, like those tevas that you can like go up into mountains on. No, it's not like that. His chanclas were nasty. Because Jesus was fully human, right? Fully human, fully man. That means Jesus would have had bunions. Jesus could have had athlete's foot. He could have had claw toe, blisters, corns, ingrown toenails. There's nothing in the Bible that says Jesus didn't have ingrown toenails. Look it up. See if you can find something that says Jesus didn't have ingrown toenails. See if there's something that said Jesus didn't have bunions or corns. Nasty things that shouldn't be on Jesus, right? Because he's God, right? But he's fully man. So she would have been down there in the nasty feet, cleaning and kissing his feet. The mystery of the incarnation is this, that Jesus stank. And we tend to go to this perfectly manicured Jesus, but that's not who he was. The Bible says that he didn't look any different from anyone else. So if he didn't look any different from anyone else, and he was in an ancient world that was dusty, that was dry, that was gross, he didn't have any Pert Plus or Pantene or anything like that, he's going to smell. Jesus smelled bad. At times, Jesus smelled bad, and here was the lady at his feet. So for this woman to kiss and clean the feet of another human, this showed how grateful she was to Jesus. She knew that without Jesus, she was dead, and she owed everything to him. So the smell probably didn't bother her as much as it might have bothered others. No matter how bad his feet smelled, no matter how bad people looked at her, she was not going to let anything stop her from thanking him with her whole heart. Why do you think people are in here that cry out in worship? Every once in a while, you'll hear something get real loud, right? Because they're so thankful that they can't do anything else but cry out to God and thank him. Why do you think they lift their hands? Because they're so thankful. And when you lift your hands, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a thing where you're like putting yourself out there, right? You're showing that you are committed to God. Your hands aren't in your pocket anymore. You're saying, man, I'm sold out to God. It's because you've been forgiven much. And those friends that you see, they have a deep understanding of what they have been forgiven from and who they have been forgiven why. And that is why you see people pour out their lives in worship. I'm not saying everybody who's quiet isn't, but I'm just saying when you see someone surrendering physically, it's just a sign that they've been forgiven much. That should be beautiful to us. Now Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this, and when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That is good news. We have been forgiven much by one who has loved well. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make about our lives is when we think our lives are ours and when we refuse to share we refuse to share our dinner table. We refuse to share that we have been redeemed with others. But we belong to Jesus. We have much to be thankful for, and so we should be loving and forgiving of others. So, if you show mercy, it is because someone else has shown it to you. Who is this I speak of? Gosh, if we don't know, it's Jesus. Jesus is who we're speaking of. Jesus has forgiven us from everything. And that's our third point, that only Jesus has the power to forgive.
Because, right, Jesus wasn't a prophet, was he? Jesus wasn't even just the Messiah, was he? He was God. He wasn't just a Messiah, just a Savior. Because that really that word is someone who saves, right? But he saved all humanity that's, that follows him. Verse 48, it says, Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. That's a big claim. Verse 49, Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, on April 5th, 1865, at the end of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln went to Richmond, Virginia to see the southern capital still burning. When he arrived, a formerly enslaved man fell at the feet of the president, and he began to kiss Lincoln's feet. Clearly embarrassed, Lincoln said this, that's not right. I don't think he said it that way. That's not right. You must kneel to God only and thank him for liberty. Why? Why would Jesus say this? Because Lincoln, sorry, I said, why would Jesus say this? I'm sorry. Why, why would Lincoln say this? Because Lincoln knew that Lincoln was neat, but he was not God. Lincoln worked hard for people, but he's flawed, and he was still in need of a Savior. And this man could not look to Lincoln for what God only could provide. Our church is amazing. Guys, I love our church. They may serve you at times or bless you, but it's only because of the love given to them by Jesus. Worship God. Jesus offers true forgiveness and tells the woman to go in peace. Indian theologian A.O. Takamenjin says it this way, to quote, go in peace means to go into the world forgiving others just as we have been forgiven. The gospel of peace has revolutionary consequences spiritually and socially in the here and now. So Jesus not only reads the mind of Simon, who is having a hissy fit about this woman, but he also knows the faith of the woman who has come to Jesus with nothing to lose. She doesn't care about her reputation, right? She doesn't care that she might be in danger with these men. Friends, these men in this room may have been awesome religious people to the community, but they were also dangerous and scary if you were a sinner because they could say that they had the legal right to stone her to death. They could say they had a legal right if she had disobeyed her family and gone off to sin. They would, they would say that these men had the legal right to kill her. So she went into the lion's den to worship Jesus because she had been forgiven. How amazing is that? She doesn't care about her reputation. She doesn't care that she might die. All she cares about is that she's in Jesus' presence and he honors her for it. Many of you think you can earn your way into God's graces. You don't cheat on your taxes. You aren't as bad as that person sitting next to you. Don't look at them. You even go to church. But that's not how it works. Only Jesus can redeem you. Only Jesus can redeem you. Religion cannot redeem you. Following Jesus is where we find true forgiveness in him. Accept forgiveness, follow him. I'm going to close this out pretty soon. Here's, here's what I'll say. Um, it's important to understand that in ancient Israel, on a woman's wedding night, a woman would let down her hair for the first time. On her wedding night is the first time she would let down her hair. I've read rabbis from the time that have said, it's a sexual act to lower your hair. I've read it from only a few hundred years ago that people have said that. 
So here this woman is saying, in the presence of my Lord, I am revealed and I am seen fully for who I truly am. She reveals herself to be in a full need of Jesus. And she's willing to to show her soul to him. And he sees it and he recognizes it. And he says, I've forgiven you. Her husband would have not seen her hair until the day they were married. And here before Jesus, she shows her commitment to him. Why? Why would she show this commitment to him? Why should we show our commitment to him? He doesn't want to make us good people, okay? That's not Jesus' goal. He wants dead people alive. How does he do this? How does he accomplish this? Jesus left the perfection of heaven and came to this earth because he loved you. Because he loved you. The perfection of heaven and came to an earth that we know, your pastor's already talked about too much how stinky it was. How stinky he would have been. How uncomfortable he would have been to have a headache, to have the flu, to suffer, to be beaten, to have his beard pulled out, to have people put a crown of thorns into his forehead causing him to bleed. Who would choose that willingly? Someone who loves you very much. Someone who cares for you very much. Someone who would give anything so that you might live. So on that cross, Jesus took our sin and died as a perfect sacrifice for us. And then he did something even greater and that he he conquered sin and death, rising again, revealing that he is who he says he is. He was who he says he was. One who conquers sin and death on your behalf. And so friends, I tell you today, be aware of how much he loves you. Be aware, not to the point that you sit in a chair and when you don't like something he does or something someone else does, that you sit and you scoff and you say, well, I like Jesus somewhat, but I don't like all this other stuff that he says, where he says, follow me. Yeah, no, I like him enough, but you know, I'll just kind of sit in the corner and judge him. He desires all of you. He desires you to be at his feet because that reveals where your heart is. Let your hair down in his presence. Whatever that means to you, dudes, like, I know that's weird for you, but I don't care. Let your hair down before Jesus. Because the Bible says what? That Jesus is the groom, and we are the bride of Christ. And we let our hair down before him because we have been forgiven, and we are in relationship with him, and he loves us to the core. If you are a law keeper, friends, you need Jesus. Let your hair down. Surrender to him. Jesus doesn't want to make you good. Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't want you to be good. Jesus wants you to be alive. If you are a lawbreaker, you think you can never live up to the standard Jesus has for you. Look who he hangs out with. We've done like 12 sermons now of the people he's hanging out with. Like they're like the most like judgmental people you've ever met. They're the most abusive people you've ever met. They're the most addicted people you've ever met. They're the most ridiculous people you've ever met. And Jesus never seems to come to them like angry. He comes, he doesn't say idiot. He says beloved child. And he says that to you no matter where you're at, no matter what you struggle with. Now, also, he wants you to follow him, though. He wants you to act as if you've been forgiven. And he wants you to worship him well. Jesus will continue to call some of you the rest of your life. But what is the day 
But what if today is the day that you commit to truly following him, laying your life down at his feet and saying, man, your way's better than mine. I'm walking my own path, but I've seen that. It's just, it's just fruitless. Your way's better, Lord. And if that's you, I ask that when we take communion, when we ask him for forgiveness, that you would come to the back, that you would find me, and that you would pray with me. And that we might surrender our lives to him because he's good, because he's worthy, because he loves you. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you care. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you look at us and you don't see these ugly people with ugly, dirty hearts. You just see your children whom you love. Father, we ask that in this moment we would bring you our sins and confess them silently, and that you would be quick to listen. God, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your grace and your love. And yet, we know based on your word that you offer it freely to us. That when we confess our sins to you and we surrender our lives to you, Father, that you no longer see our sins, but you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus. And for that, we say thank you. God, I pray that you would help us not to just continue in guilt, but to function out of forgiveness and grace. And God, that we who have been forgiven much might show and extend grace to others. Those of us who owe 500 in the room, that we might extend that grace that has been given to us to as many people as possible for the rest of our lives. Teach us how to follow you consistently. And God, when we, we make mistakes, would you help us to get up out of the dirt and understand how much you love us and forgive us. Lord, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.